0: With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch right at your fingertips with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Check us out at NotreDameFCU.com, insured by NCUA. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O God, Father of mercies, who placed your people under the singular protection of your Son's Most Holy Mother, Grant that all who invoke the Blessed Virgin of Guadalupe may seek with ever more lively faith the progress of peoples in the ways of justice and of peace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Saint Juan Diego, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by
1: Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our good Bishop, going to talk to us about St. Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe. And you've been there in Mexico, right? I have.
0: Yeah, I remember I've been there a few times and celebrated Mass in the Basilica. And I remember one Mass on the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity, and the Basilica was full with over 3,000 people. It was so beautiful, and they gave me a vestment as a gift that I've worn oftentimes on Marian Feasts, and also they gave me a a beautiful picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe that I have in my chapel in my residence.
1: Great. Well, I'm looking forward to learning about Our Lady of Guadalupe, as well as St. Juan Diego, who I know you also have an affinity for, uh, your ordination to the Episcopacy to be a bishop was on the Feast of St. Juan Diego. Did you have any choice in that matter or was that just what was assigned to you?
0: I did. I had to choose a date that would work for the Cardinal who was ordaining me as well as the Apostolic Nuncio and the two co-consecrating bishops. So I knew around the time that the ordination had to take place, which had to be within two months of the appointment so that brought it to like the end of November, beginning of December. So oftentimes you try to look for the date of an apostle, Apostles Feast. Mm-hmm. And November 30th was the Feast of St. Andrew, but that yeah. did not work for others. Uh-huh. And they said, well, is there another date? And I realized, I thought of Our Lady Guadalupe, but I knew that a lot of the bishops would be celebrating masses in their home dioceses, so I, I knew that December 12th wouldn't work. But then I thought, why not December 9th, the Feast of Juan Diego? And of course, it was that was the date of the first apparition of Our Lady to Juan Diego on December 9th. So that worked for everybody, and it was really special because, especially for the Hispanic communities in the Diocese of Harrisburg, the Mexicans, and who I had served you know, many years, so... So it really was perfect. And they sang, you know, in the ordination mass. I remember I requested a couple songs that hymns to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And it was really very beautiful. Wow. Yeah. I went back and
1: was looking for past episodes where we've talked about Our Lady of Guadalupe. And in 2018, we had an episode along with two of our Hispanic deacons. But you had card troubles and called and said, go ahead without me. Just do the show with the deacons. Uh, and I listened to it on the way here, and it is such a great episode, hearing their stories. We did talk about Our Lady Guadalupe a little bit, but mostly just their journey to becoming permanent deacons okay. here in this diocese. And so encourage people to go check that out. It's a December 12th episode in 2018. But do you mind, Bishop, telling us a little bit of the history, the story of St. Juan Diego?
0: Yeah, it would be great. He was a... a Chichimeca Indian, and that was a tribe within the Aztec Empire in the 16th century, and he was actually born in the late 15th century, and Juan Diego was a convert uh, to the Catholic faith. He was born in the year 1474, and he was of a low social class. He wasn't like a slave, but it was a low social class. So he was born in 1474, and around 1524, we don't know the exact year, but we know it was around then that the first indigenous families were baptized by the Franciscan missionaries. Hmm. The Franciscan missionaries had come to the New World with the Spanish conquistadores. Yeah. And we know that Juan Diego, his name wasn't Juan Diego at that point, his, he had a an Indian name which I can't really pronounce, it's very long, but it's something like Toatzin. Hmm. And that was his native name, and when he was baptized, the name, his name was changed to Juan Diego. And he, his wife was also baptized at the same time. His wife's name was Maria Lucia. And then after being baptized, they received the sacrament of matrimony. Okay. So he was an early convert. There weren't a lot of conversions prior to the apparitions. After the apparitions, there was an explosion of conversions to the Christian faith, to the Catholic faith. Juan Diego's life is very interesting. He, as I said, was kind of of a lower social class. He was married. His wife died in 1529, just five years after their conversion. And it was at that point he turned his life to god by attending mass and often and catechism lessons and he was learning there was a franciscan church where he would go and at that point he started living with his uncle who was an elderly man named juan bernardino hmm. so that's context for when the virgin mary appeared to him and chose him really to be her messenger which really changed the history of America. So, as I mentioned, the Franciscans were the first religious congregation to bring the gospel to Mexico, and they were trying to evangelize the native peoples, and they would fight for the dignity of the native peoples. We know there were a lot of abuses by the Spanish conquistadores, but the Franciscans recognized the dignity of the indigenous peoples and tried to protect them. They were very committed to educating them and that's what they were doing and with, with very limited success. And then something happened that changed everything. It was December 9th, 1531 and Juan Diego was on his way to the church, to the the Franciscan church from his home when something very unexpected happened. And by the way, how do we know about all of this is an interesting thing. There's a lot of studies that have been done. There's so much research and tons of it. We won't have time to talk about it in this episode, but all kinds of scholarly disputes about the historicity, et cetera. But, But one of the earliest accounts where we get these details about the apparitions was really from about 20 years, I believe after the actual apparitions There's a a document that was in the native language, Nahuatl. Nahuatl actually was the the language also that the Blessed Virgin Mary spoke when she appeared to Juan Diego. Hmm. But this very ancient document that we have where we learn the story was written by a native Aztec man named Antonio Valeriano who had been educated by the uh, Franciscans, and it's probably from around 1556, and it's called the Nikon Mopua. and it's 16 pages long. It's a manuscript. So this is the—I know there is an earlier uh, mention of the miraculous apparitions on a parchment from the year 1548, but it's just like one page. And by the way, that was only discovered in 1995, but it does confirm— oh, wow the truth of, of what we know. But we can re- reliably date this more complete early description of the apparition in this 16-page manuscript that's called the Nikon Mopoahu. So this native man, educated by Franciscans, had written this down. So we think that perhaps he had learned it from Juan Diego himself, mm-hmm. but there was certainly also a lot of oral tradition Besides what was written down, of course it wasn't, you know, they didn't have a written language. So, I mean, they did have a written language, but most of the people weren't able to to write. So they, a lot of what was passed on about the tradition was through oral tradition. That's a whole nother area of scholarly research, as well as archeological evidence and all of that. In any event, what we read is that on December 9th, 1531, Juan Diego gets up early to go to church and at dawn, he was passing this hill called Tepeyac and he suddenly heard birds singing Mm -hmm. and a voice, very sweet voice that called him by name in his native language and called him Juanito, Uh but in the native language, which Juanito would be like Johnny. Juanito, my dear Juan Diego. So he followed this voice. He didn't see anyone at first, but then he saw this on the hill, a glowing figure. And she identified her, herself and she asked him to go to the bishop and to request the building of a shrine on that location, on that spot, in order that she could show her love and her compassion to the people. This is what she said. This is what the words that Our Lady said. She said, No one understand well You, the most humble of my sons, that I am the Virgin Holy Mary, mother of the true God for whom we live, of the creator of all things, Lord of heaven and earth. I wish that a temple be erected here quickly, so I may therein exhibit and give all my love, compassion, help, and protection. Hmm. So Juan Diego went right to the bishop. Of course, he's this lowly peasant. And the bishop's name was Juan de Zumarraga, Juan de Zumarraga, to deliver the message from this lady from heaven. Now, after he heard Juan Diego's account, he really was very skeptical and really didn't believe him. He was very polite to him. He said to come back another day, basically. Uh-huh. So Juan Diego left, and as he was returning home, he again went to the hill, Tepeyac, where our lady was. And she appeared again, and he asked her to choose somebody else that would be a better messenger, someone yeah. more noble that the bishop would take seriously. Right. And again, the Virgin Mary said, no, you're, you're the one. So she reaffirmed his mission and ordered him to go back to the bishop hmm. the following day. And this is what she said when she appeared to him, this second appearance. She said, listen, my little son. Be sure that I have many servants and messengers to whom I must entrust the delivery of my message and carry my wish. But it is of precise detail that you yourself solicit and assist and that through your mediation, my wish be complied. I earnestly implore my son, the least and with sternness, I command that you go again tomorrow and see the Bishop. Hmm. So, that's what he did. The next day, December 10th in the afternoon, he delivered the message again to the bishop, and the bishop didn't believe him again. And the bishop ordered him to ask for a sign from the lady that he had met at the uh, top of Tepeyac Hill. So he went back, and he told her what had happened, and the Virgin Mary asked him to return the following morning for a sign that he could then take to the bishop. Mm -hmm. So she said, these were her words, well and good, my little dear, you will return here tomorrow so you may take to the bishop the sign he has requested. With this, he will believe you. And in this regard, he will not doubt you, nor will he be suspicious of you. So after that fourth apparition, Juan Diego returned home and he found his uncle very, very ill. His uncle, remember, his name was Juan Bernardino. So because of that, he didn't go back to Tepeyac the next day. He stayed home with his uncle, who he thought was dying. He didn't feel he could just leave him. So that was December 11th. Then on Tuesday morning, which was December 12th, he went looking for a priest so that his um, uncle could receive the last rites so he could be anointed and receive Holy Communion, but he didn't go the usual route because he didn't want to run into the Virgin. And (laughs) she descended from the hill and she comforted him. And this is like my favorite quote of the blessed Virgin Mary. She said, am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not the fountain of your joy? Are you not in the fold of my mantle, in the cradle of my arms? Do not grieve nor be disturbed by anything. Do not be afflicted by the illness of your uncle, who will not die now of it. Be assured that he's now cured. And then she sent him to the top of the hill. She sent Juan Diego to the top of the hill to cut roses. That would be the sign for the bishop. Immediately he climbed the hill, and as he reached the summit of the hill, he was amazed that there were all these beautiful roses blooming, and they were exquisite. They were Castilian, like roses in Castile in Spain. So he returned to Mary, and she said to him, "'My son, the least, this diversity of roses is the proof and sign which you will take to the bishop. You will tell him in my name that he will see in them my wish.' and that he will have to comply with it. So he went back to the bishop's house to deliver the message, give him the sign, show him the roses. So when he saw the bishop, he said, Sir, I did what you ordered to go forth and tell the lady from heaven, Holy Mary, precious mother of God, that you asked for a sign so that you might believe me, that you should build a temple where she asked it to be erected. And then Juan Diego told him what he saw at the top of the hill. When the Virgin Mary sent him to cut the flowers as proof, as a sign, he said to the bishop, She had told me that I should bring them to you. And so I do it, so that you may see in them the sign which you asked of me and comply with her wish. Also, to make clear the veracity of my word and my message. Behold, receive them. So he unfolded his tilma, the white cloth, and roses. That, where the roses were, and, and they fell to the ground, and as we know, famously, a sacred image of the Holy Virgin Mary appeared on the tilma. And of course, when the bishop saw this, and all, there were other people in the room, they fell to their knees before the tilma, and the bishop was crying, and he prayed, he begged for forgiveness for not believing from the beginning. So after this miracle, Bishop Zumaraga immediately ordered that a chapel be constructed where Juan Diego would spend the rest of his life guarding the image of the venerated mother of God, queen of heaven, and people from all over, indigenous peoples, came to see the tilma. And, of course, Mary appeared as one of them. She appeared like a... An Aztec, and she she had spoken their language, and she had the features of an Aztec woman. Then they built uh, some decades later, rather than just a chapel, a, a bigger church, the same place. And then it wasn't until 1709 that they constructed the first basilica of Guadalupe. That was used for many many years, probably two centuries. And then they in 1976, the new, more modern structure that is there, the Basilica of Arde Guadalupe, where thousands of It's the most, by the way, it's the most popular pilgrimage site in the world. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. The millions that go there every year. And the original image of Arde Guadalupe is there. It's behind glass. And I can't explain what it feels like to, to go by it. It's kind of like a... A moving, what do you call it, like in an airport? Yeah, a moving walkway. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been there? I have. Oh, okay. So you know.
1: And and the building itself is you mentioned a more modern building. It's not a traditional basilica like you would think of in in Rome or something like that. Or even in the United States, a lot of our kind of ornate traditional looking thing. It's a it's kind of kind of a funky design.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but do you did, did you see the old basilica? It still stands nearby. I
1: believe so. Yeah, yeah. it's been a, it's been a while, but yeah, 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 yeah. So they want to keep the line moving so people don't just stand there and stare. I'm sure, but yeah, you yeah. go on the moving walkway and you you rotate by it. I want to talk a little bit more about the image and some of the the miraculous or unexplainable features of it, including how it's lasted all these years, made out of. Cactus fibers. Um, So we'll talk about that and more about Our Lady of Guadalupe coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch at your fingertips, insured by NCUA and with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24 7. Hi, I'm Tom Obergfell of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union inviting you to enjoy better banking where and when you want. Features include bill pay, money transfer, budgeting, early payday program, and much more. Check us out today at NotreDameFCU.com to learn more. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, St. Juan Diego, and this miraculous tilma. A lot of people just refer to it as the tilma. And that's the the cloak that St. Juan Diego was wearing at the time of the—it it was post-apparition and when he was presenting the flowers to the bishop and this image appeared. There's been so much scientific research that has gone into it. There's all kinds of stories of bombs exploding and, and not— um, damaging it, as well as any replica that anybody's tried to make since then, out of these cactus fibers has decayed, and and mm-hmm. and this, this is still in great condition, even though it was exposed to candles for so many years, which would have sped up the degradation process, right?
0: And uh, and even the first 115 years, there was no protective glass, right? It was just you know out in the air, and and you know that that's just. And it didn't degrade, yeah. even those first—and then afterwards. I mean, it's been—think about it, 500 years almost. And like you said, exposed to candle wax and incense and uh-huh. so many people coming by. Yeah, there was a bomb hidden within flowers, a basket of flowers that were left under the tilma back in 1921. There was an anti-Catholic secularist who exploded and damaged the altar of the basilica. And that's, you know, the old basilica— but the tilma was unharmed, and even a brass crucifix yeah. that was bent was bent by the explosion. You can see that one. I don't know if you saw yeah, it in, yeah. the, in the museum uh, by the shrine, right? And and people even think that's you know that's kind of miraculous as well. There is some, I would say, scientists who debate about all this, uh-huh. and you know the different chemists and other scientists who've examined it. But I think. None of them can really explain how this, I mean, there are parts of it that were painted afterwards, kind of like decorative that have degraded, Mm. but the original image has not been degraded or disintegrated at all. So I I think when it's being examined, you also have to keep in mind, well, what was original and what was added later by painters, et cetera. So Uh that's, that's one issue. But there was something that really I find fascinating. Photographers back in 1929 and then again in 1951 inspected the Virgin's eyes to see what would be in the eyes. And an ophthalmologist later enlarged the eyes by 2,500 times Uh and found not only the figure of Juan Diego, but images of all the people who were present when the tilma was first revealed before the bishop. So that to me is like, how do you explain that? You know, and and the fabric, all all these things. And I haven't done a lot of study of the scientific data. I kind of know only the basics. Mm -hmm. But those are the things that really stand out to me. What would you say
1: to a skeptic who says, you know, we don't even have any recording of this until 20 years after the event, all of this scientific, put that in quotes, research is what somebody said that somebody else said, you know, this might all seem
0: like a scam to me. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, it does take faith, I would say, but I don't think what we believe is against reason at all, Mm -hmm. but some are very, very skeptical of anything miraculous. But I think that, the fact that there's different opinions of investigators and scientists does show that there's still that need for faith. Sure. And and you see the different layers of, of meanings in the image. The belt that she's wearing is a sign of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. There were different things that would have had great meaning for the indigenous peoples. Even the colors. Mm-hmm. She had a blue-green mantle that was kind of... a the colors for some of their pagan divine couple that that they believed in. So there was a sense of how this was the enculturation of Christianity among the indigenous peoples. And the fact that Mary would appear that way to reveal to them their dignity. She didn't come to destroy their culture. And and the church doesn't destroy cultures. It purifies cultures. So, you Mm. know, human sacrifice, et cetera, that was taking place in the Aztec religions obviously would not be acceptable by Christians. So that was stamped out. So the things that were harmful to human dignity, but there's other parts of the culture that are good. And that's what Mary shows in this appearance. You know, she showed that God was a God of tender love, not cruel and angry, you know, all the things that, uh, and I think this is what led to so many of the indigenous peoples converting. You know, they they were polytheists, they believed in many gods, and and then you have this woman who comes to show them the loving face of God, the Mm -hmm. one God, the creator of the universe, and his son, Jesus Christ. That was the greatest evangelization in the his, in history hmm. that so many millions converted in the decades after the apparitions.
1: I was reading about some of the symbolism and the rays that come from her. I never thought of what the, I just thought it was just like a, a stylistic artistic, like, Hey, she's beaming or something like that. But it's her standing in front of the sun, which would have been like their sun God that they worship. So like she is, more important. And the fact that she's pregnant is that it's not all about her. It's like that she is carrying the son of God, the one that they, they should be worshiping that she's standing on the moon and they worship the moon God and all this, even the constellations that are in there have significance and stuff. Like I, I think one, you know, we might see this image. I I would guess most of our parishes have an image of our lady of Guadalupe in many of our homes or, you know um, I know like at, Redeemer Radio, we have one hanging up in our conference room. So I, I see this image all the time, but to, to read about some of that symbolism and stuff helps it to, to have more meaning. Now when I look at it, it's it's much more powerful because I, I get what it's trying to communicate rather than, I think sometimes we see something growing up or we say a prayer growing up our whole lives and we never actually think about what it means. but. Yeah. To them, especially like once you start learning about the culture, you realize this was made for a specific culture and it spoke to them what they needed to to receive to to be converted.
0: Yeah. And I think what's also these different layers of meaning, as you mentioned regarding the sun, and also that kind of goes with the depiction of the woman in the book of Revelation, the woman clothed with the sun. Hmm. Well, in the image, Mary is in a sense clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, just like we read in the book of Revelation, upon her head a crown of twelve stars. So that had these it was deeply Christian in its that part of the symbolism, while at the same time having these other meanings for the indigenous peoples of Mexico. And I think that's that's really quite, I don't know, miraculous in itself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, maybe that's something that people want to take up for Advent is doing a little research into St. Juan Diego, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and maybe get a book on it or read some articles online, sit in front of the image and and reflect on that and, and pray how Our Lady is leading us towards Christ and how we can reflect on that as we prepare for Christmas uh, during this time of Advent. Uh, also, I'll put a link to that 2018 episode with the Hispanic deacons because they talk a little bit about what's going on in the diocese for, you know, what they do for Our Lady of Guadalupe's feast, as well as some different things that the Hispanic community does for Advent and to celebrate Christmas. So might be a good one to go check out as well. Uh, any recommendations for our Lady of Guadalupe
0: celebrations in the diocese or all of our, uh, you know, especially our, our bilingual parishes mm-hmm. and we have 16 parishes with, Oh wow. Uh, that are bilingual and have, um, they have a lot of big celebrations, more traditional with the mananitas, mm-hmm. which are sung at midnight on December. Well, 12 AM on December 12th. Okay. Some have evening masses that day and I try to get around to a different parish every year uh-huh. and I enjoy it. And sometimes, you know, it depends on the parish, but a lot of them have a pageant where they reenact the apparitions and people dress like mm-hmm. the Virgin Mary, Juan Diego, and others, and beautiful music. And like I said, Las Mananitas in the morning, they're, they're sung. It's kind of like uh, morning prayers welcoming Our Lady. And, um, there's there's just a lot of different things. And then, of course, there's often food uh-huh. uh, and uh, mariachi bands. And, nice. Um, I remember when I was a pastor, I started the Guadalupe celebrations at St. Francis of Assisi in Harrisburg. And, oh, the church would be packed, and it was so beautiful. And then we'd have a big fiesta afterwards. I remember once inviting the bishop, and he couldn't get over it. and yeah. And it would go on for hours, you know, the, the liturgy and the music and then uh. the food and the dancing and everything. So I love the celebration of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So people can check. I think Today's Catholic has a list of all the different Guadalupe celebrations. And, you know, people who are Anglos, still, I mean, it's she's the patroness of America. Right. So she's for all of us. And I think they could feel welcome to go to any of these celebrations. And I think some... Anglo parishes may also have special celebrations, but, but especially the bilingual parishes, they would have huge celebrations on this day.
1: Well, not to put you on the spot, but any update on the Hispanic deacons of any ministry that's happened over, I guess, since the last check-in four years ago?
0: Oh, uh, they're doing wonderful work. Actually, it's good you mentioned that. I'm going to be ordaining 18 new permanent deacons on January 7th. Mm Mm-hmm. That's our largest class ever. This will be wow. my third class of permanent deacons that'll i be ordaining. But of the 18, two of them are Latino, both from Fort Wayne. The last class, it, the formation program was all in Spanish because that was much easier for them to mm-hmm. do their studies. And But in this new class in English, the two Hispanic men are both very bilingual. So uh-huh. they could go to the classes in, in English. So I'm working now on kind of the assigning, thinking about where they're needed and where they'll be assigned. But that'll be a great day, January 7th at St. Pius in Granger. Okay. I, wanted, I chose that because it's the biggest church, because with so many, yeah, uh, normally I'd have ordinations in one of the two cathedrals, but because of the numbers of people saint Pius. that way more family and friends can can sure. attend so i'm looking forward to that just praying there's good weather because january 7th in the south bend side of the diocese is a little risky yeah yeah
1: all right well thank you for that update and uh, again you know look into our lady of guadalupe and do a little research and and maybe that's something that we re- reflect on this advent uh, thank you bishop before we go could we get
0: your episcopal blessing sure the lord be with you and with your spirit Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.